Welcome to Inside New Mexico. We're talking about the issues of the day from a conservative viewpoint with former Congressman Steve Pierce from the 2nd Congressional District of New Mexico, now chairman of our Republican Party in New Mexico. Mr. Pierce, how are you today? I'm doing great, Derek. We have a beautiful show lined up. We've got a little bit of a discussion on the appropriations for our Defense Department and how they're going to play out into this whole idea if there's going to be a continuing resolution or a government shutdown. So that'll all take time to play out towards uh, December of this year. But we're going to discuss that. A little update on the USMCA agreement. We talked last week about it, and uh, we've got more this week. No week looks like it's going to ever take place without an update on the border and, and more changes there. Reparations discussions in the House. There are just are fireworks going off around that. And then the Bladenburg Cross there in Maryland. And so a lot on today's show, so stay tuned and let's jump right into it, Derek. You mentioned uh, possible government shutdown. We hope that doesn't happen. Tell us about what you expect to happen. Already you can see the battle lines being drawn. And since I've been there in Congress, you can interpret what's going on in advance to it actually happening. So just last week there was just a flurry of activity going on behind the scenes in meetings between the Trump administration and uh, and his officials, Mulvaney. Mick Mulvaney, I served with him in the Financial Services Committee. He was a member of Congress from South Carolina. And then Secretary Mnuchin, Secretary of the Treasury, know him well, worked with him in uh, my subcommittee chairmanship. The terrorism and illicit finance went right through Treasury Department. And so so I had the opportunity to know both of them. They were sitting with the leaders of the House and the Senate, including Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. And, and the subject was the DOD funding for fiscal year 20, which passed the House on a very partisan vote. All 196 Republicans voted against the bill, and then seven Democrats joined the Republicans to vote against it. Now, what was going on is that the top-line funding for defense was was the big sticking point. Uh, the $733 billion that the, the Democratic House majority was willing to give was too little for the Republicans, so they voted against it. Uh, but in the Senate, where Republicans are in charge, they are going to use a number more in line with what President Trump has been asking for to rebuild the military. Of course, under President Obama, the military was allowed to run down where about half the planes would take off in any given day. Uh, they were using spare parts from one plane to another, cannibalizing is that term. And so Obama had really gutted the military, and Trump is rebuilding it, and so he's looking for $750 billion. Obviously, the two sides couldn't get together. Many of the Democrats in the Senate believe that even the 733 is too much, so the tribal lies ahead for this particular bill. And keep in mind, the Democrats will spend the $750 billion for defense, but they will require the same amount of increase from 733 to 750 Of course, that's $17 billion. They will want a $17 billion increase in domestic spending, which generally will be put into different programs that affect the constituents of Democrats. The Democrats in Congress don't consider that the Defense Department is for all of us. They say, no, that's a Republican thing. We want things that will allow us to fund Democratic programs. And so that ends up being the trade. 
And so that's what's going on. Now, if they don't get this passed, the key to all the 12 appropriation bills is the defense bill. And so it's generally the first one that comes up, and this year is no exception. It's the first one coming up. But if that does not get passed, then it causes a cascade of failure of future appropriation bills, which are right now being talked about. If any of the 12 don't get approved by October the 1st, then that's when the CR, the continuing resolution, has to be passed. That can be done till the end of the year, but at the end of the year, then you're looking at maybe a government shutdown or a CR for all of next year. Continuing resolutions are where they just change the dates on last year's bill and continue right on through this year. So a lot at stake in the government right now, defense, you just can't build new weapons systems unless you know how much money you've got to spend for this year. The continuing resolution is always uncertain. It's passed at the last moment. And so we'll see where that goes. So this would take us into a, a continuing resolution or possible government shutdown into the beginning of an election year. That's uh, very interesting from a political aspect. And neither side always knows which is going to be better for their constituents to talk about a government shutdown or to do the continuing resolution. So very unstable. And it's unfortunate because we are having a lot of success with the military the activities around the world uh, get paid for through this defense bill. And so we'll see how that works out. President Trump is working on renegotiating NAFTA with this uh, USMCA bill. And uh, can you tell us why that's significant and what's the difference between the two bills? Well, again, Trump's position in all the trade bills is very similar to the one that I had in Congress, that the other countries have access to our markets right now. And so President Trump is saying it's unfair. We should have access to theirs. Many times I voted exactly that way on the trade bills in Congress and was even opposed to that TPP, which was getting such a big push from our leadership under Paul Ryan. But this USMCA is to replace NAFTA, which came in uh, 15, 20 years ago. And so even officials from Mexico and Canada now want that to be passed. They have come in here and lobbied Congress especially Nancy Pelosi, because they know that she's got that agreement sitting on her desk and has it frozen, and without her approval to go to the floor, it will not come for a vote. Even the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, came to Washington to lobby Congress and say, please pass it. He's saying that uh, he and the Mexico delegation, which came up to lobby for it, have said that this is going to be good in the short run and good in the long run. So it's significant that Mexico became the first country of the three to pass this agreement through their Congress. The Western Journal had a good article last week about that. The agreement passed by 114 to 4 votes. Now, they were alarmed when Trump was elected. In Mexico, they were alarmed. They felt like he was going to kill NAFTA, kill trade with them. And now then you see that they passed this bill with 114 to 4 votes. And so it's significant that they voted that overwhelming for it because it now indicates that they believe Trump has negotiated something that's good for all countries. So that's the value of having a business guy running the government is that he understands what it takes to get a win on all sides. And obviously Canada and Mexico agree with him that this is going to be good for all three countries going to make us a stronger trading block in the entire world. So USMCA sitting on Nancy Pelosi's desk waiting to be passed. 
if you're a Democrat, give her a call and tell her to keep that thing moving because it's American jobs at stake right now. You are listening to Inside New Mexico with the chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico, former Congressman Steve Pierce. We have a lot more to talk about. Keep your radio right where it is. We'll be right back. Attention, New Mexico veterans. If you were honorably discharged from the U.S. Armed Forces, you've earned state and federal benefits, and the New Mexico Department of Veteran Services is standing by to assist you. State benefits include a veteran's property tax exemption, education and training, and transportation services. We can also assist with claims for federal VA benefits. The state of New Mexico and this radio station thank you for your service. More information at nmveterans.org or 1-866-433-8387. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill talking with former Congressman Steve Pierce, now chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico. Chairman, please give us an update on the ongoing border crisis on our southern border. Well... Uh, continues to be a crisis, and the president, again, I don't want to hit this drum too many times, but as a business guy, he understands the value of pressure and time and the pressure of, of money, the resources. It's easier when you've had to make decisions trying to juggle money and time in and, and major projects. And of course, as somebody building billion-dollar projects in New York City, he's been in about the fastest lane you can get in. The president is looking at how he can bring more pressure on the Central American countries to stop the flow, but then also turning up on the pressure on Mexico. So we talked last week about the pressure that he's putting on Mexico, but what he did next was really increase the pressure on Central America by cutting off their foreign aid. And he simply says, if you're not going to help us secure our southern border, if you're not going to keep your people at home, then we're not going to give you foreign aid. And so he cut that off. Uh, that's an article you can look that up on Sons of Liberty Media and, and get a deeper dive into that. It's an important way that he's dealing with the subject matter. You recall that he was going to add tariffs on Mexico and got their attention immediately because that was going to affect jobs in their country. Politico.com is another web page that will give you good stories about turning up the pressure on deporting illegal immigrants. So if you recall that Trump has said in the past that he is going to cut off foreign aid to those countries that don't help us get to our goals. We're going to help them get to theirs, but we need their help in getting to our goals. I often said it like this, that there's no use paying countries that hate us. We don't have to pay people to hate us. They'll do it free of charge. Well, the same thing for Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. If they're going to continue to force the people out of their country to us, then we'll never stop this influx. And so we can watch as his administration makes these changes and know that uh, every day the pressure increases on them. Trump's especially intent on stopping the dangerous people coming here, like MS-13 gang members, and that's something these countries could help with tremendously. Now... Trump has also asked the Democrats to stop their delaying tactics when it comes to fixing the, the laws that are allowing these border and humanitarian crises to exist. So he issued an executive order saying that he's going to start deporting more of the people who have been here illegally, and that caused an outcry from the Democrats. So President Trump, in true negotiating form, just allowed Nancy Pelosi to get her way, so he temporarily pulled back that deportation. 
in saying that, okay, I'll give you a chance to fix the law, but I want you to fix it. Otherwise, we're going to go back to, to this uh, sending of people back to their countries. Now, in the outrage that followed his announcement, Homeland Security figures were obtained by Axios, and it actually showed that the Trump administration is very far behind deportations under the Obama administration. So the people who really are complaining now, the Democrats in Congress and the Democrats in the Senate, have to realize and have to understand that the people in America would know that this is sheerly political because they didn't say a word. Uh, and the numbers are significant. So far in the fiscal year 2019, only 282,242 immigrants have been uh, shipped home. In that same period, the Obama administration had sent 409,000, almost 410,000, so a difference of something like 27,000 more immigrants deported under Obama than under President Trump, and yet not a word was said. So, Derek, our border continues to be problem. It continues to be porous, and the president is saying that he is going to secure the border. Now, meanwhile, if you look over to our neighbor in Texas, they're doing everything they can to help the government. And so Texas, in the uh, valleycentral.com news, the article came out that talks about the Texas governor going to send $1 billion from Texas to help secure the border, to add resources to those that the, the federal government has. You know that in New Mexico, all five checkpoints have been shut down. The interior checkpoints have been shut down. And now then you've got Border Patrol agents not securing the border at all. I was able to talk to an agent who retired out of frustration just last week, and uh, and he just said, we're not doing the job. We, we, we no longer go to secure the border. We're doing processing and, and changing diapers. I, I don't think that's what the people in the, the nation want. But compare the governor of Texas with the governor of New Mexico and Governor Lujan Grisham and all of our Democratic congressional delegation, they have been in agreement to pull the National Guard off the border. And uh, she and the mayor of Albuquerque have actually sued the Trump administration for turning loose illegal people to live here in New Mexico. So a big difference between what is going on in Texas and what's going on here. Now, meanwhile, we saw a couple of years ago, I think it was a year ago, in Clovis, there was a, a stash house where 12 illegals were being held inside, and they were just waiting to be transported somewhere in the state or the nation. Then this past February, people also found a stash house in Dexter with 70 people inside, and now then ICE took in seven Guatemalan men over in Roswell again, in that Roswell area and they are saying that they were creating another stash house. ICE is looking for one woman who they think is the mastermind of it all, Christine McDonald. She ran the house as now a fugitive from justice. So the network is tightening in the system, but the president continues to insist that the Democrats start making changes in the law that make it possible for these people to come here the way they are. He's making changes in the funding of foreign governments by our government and the guise of foreign aid uh, until they help us clean the problem up. But the president is insistent that he is going to secure the border. That's essential for a country anywhere in the world. You just don't survive if you don't have secure borders. So I appreciate everything the president is trying to do to make our country safe. So to clarify, Governor Lujan Grisham has pulled the National Guard off the checkpoints 
now we have too many illegals in the state for us to be able to afford, so she's gone to the federal government to ask for money to pay for a crisis that she won't admit is happening. Do I understand that right? Yes, that's exactly right. She has pulled her support away from the border in the form of the National Guard, who are helping Border Patrol, and now she's suing the government because too many people are getting in. So it just shows the kind of the double standard that she's applying in this whole circumstance. We are talking with former Congressman Steve Pierce, now chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico, and we have a lot more to talk about. This is Inside New Mexico, and we'll be right back. National Guard and Reserve members are true leaders, both in the military and in the workplace. They are highly skilled and get the job done every day. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR, can help you recruit top-notch service members to your workforce. Hiring Guard and Reserve members is good for your business and good for your community. Visit esgr.mil employers to learn more. We are back on Inside New Mexico with Chairman of the Republican Party, Steve Pierce. As many of our listeners probably heard, the uh, Iranians shot down an unmanned American drone. We say it was not over their airspace. They say it was. And President Trump was about to take action, military action, and then he pulled back. And so he's taking heat from his party and the Democrats. Your thoughts? Sure. I think the president was exactly right. You have to understand that this political support ebbs and flows. It sometimes comes toward you, sometimes moves out. It's like a tide. And there are things which will cause that tide to move. And anytime you move a step closer to war, generally the tide moves against you. So what the president was trying to do is say, okay, the rest of the world would have thought this was too heavy-handed response to strike them. So we're going to call it off. Now, Iran is not going to continue. They need the provocation. They're suffering tremendously inside their country, and they're starting to lose support of their people. The general population inside Iran is getting very frustrated with the Ayatollah leadership, the religious leadership of the nation, because they can't feed their families. Always the worst backlash occurs when people have trouble giving their kids food. And so they need the conflict in order for the leaders to say, oh, the great Satan is, is trying to overwhelm us. We've got to come together and fight against the great Satan. And then also the rest of the world is affected. If we strike too heavy, too sudden, then we're the villain and not Iran. As President Trump has called off that strike, if Iran continues to provoke, then the rest of the world says, okay, Iran is the problem, not the U.S. So a couple of reasons why Iran wants the conflict. I think Trump is just letting the time go, understanding that they're going to continue provoking and they're going to do something that will cause outrage. And that's when we're going to see the strike. So I think that's what's going on. And again, I think the president as well justified in what he's doing. So he didn't take the bait and the president that so many on the other side called a warmonger, much like they did to President Reagan called him a warmonger, and and here he didn't push the button. He said it wasn't proportional. They didn't kill any Americans. They shot down an unmanned drone. He didn't want to kill any Iranians. Absolutely. So, again, you see the symmetry of what he's doing now, and, and it makes sense. 
but a lot of times people just want blood. They want an eye for an eye. They don't have to get elected. They don't have to stand the heat from the rest of the world. They can go home at night and turn on the TV and watch it. He's got to deal with these very political circumstances that ebb and flow, and so I think that he called that shot correctly. So we've had some drama in the House hearings on reparations. Tell us what that's all about. Derek, I've served with most of the people in here, and I'm telling you that many times this is nothing more than theater. It is political theater. So the Democrats had a, uh, a hearing on reparations for slavery, and that erupted into an all-out word battle last week. Democrats are advocating for reparations for slavery. They called that America's original sin. Republicans are pushing back, saying, no, that we should not be paying for slavery. So if I were quoting Sheila Jackson Lee, again, I've traveled with her, nor I don't agree with her very much on anything. We get along fine, but she will say outrageous things. And so Sheila Jackson Lee that said that slavery is the original sin. Slavery has never received an apology. She said that the role of the federal government, she continued, is in supporting the institution of slavery and subsequent discrimination directed against blacks is an injustice that must be formally acknowledged and addressed. And in her eyes, the addressing has to be with uh, payments. Uh, Derek, another one of the, the people who are arguing for uh, reparations, Tanahisi Coates, is a writer, and he said that I don't think we should rule out cutting of checks. There are people who deserve checks. Coates continued that many Americans don't understand their history. And he said that while it's been well studied, he believes that um, many Americans just don't quite understand that you would get a plurality of white Americans who would tell you that the Civil War was about states' rights with no conversation about states' rights to do what, he said. So he continued on that it's impossible to imagine America without the inheritance of slavery, saying that the early U.S. economy relied upon slavery, which supported torture, rape, and child trafficking. So those are the arguments in favor of. Meanwhile, there were arguments from blacks across the country against the reparations. One of those was writer Coleman Hughes, who said that the time has passed for reparations. He said that the failing by the government to compensate free plays after the Civil War was one of the greatest injustices ever perpetrated by the U.S. government. But also just thought aloud that our desire to fix the past compromises our ability to fix the present. Coleman continued that black people don't need another apology. What we need are safer neighborhoods and better schools. We need less punitive criminal justice system. We need affordable health care. And none of these things can be achieved with reparations for slavery, he said. If uh, we were to make reparations today, Coleman continued, we would only divide the country further, making it harder to build the political coalitions required to solve the problems facing black people today. So just, again, you can always depend on these hearings being sometimes less substantial and more theater. Other times they actually get down to real discussions, but uh, that's what was happening in that. One more topic before we wrap up the program today. The Bladensburg Cross. The court has made a decision. Tell us about it. Yeah, the Supreme Court, in a monumental decision, upheld the constitutionality of the Bladensburg Peace Cross. It was erected there in Maryland in 1925 to honor the memories of 49 local men who gave their last full measure 
of devotion defending our liberties during World War One. It was financed and constructed by the American Legion. So complainants against the cross, which has stood unmolested for 94 years, came from just three people who complained of unwelcome contact with the cross, which means they could see it from the car when they drove to work. But the Supreme Court rejected that challenge. Now, many times we feel under attack. We think that the nation is, is just doing everything and forgetting our religious heritage. They're forgetting the sacrifices of men and women. And yet we find these actions by the Supreme Court of the United States upholding this visual symbol of remembrance for the 49 local people who died to defend liberty during World War One. Just a monumental decision. So, Derek, it's been a great program. Uh, as we close out, again, I remind people that they can reach us easy. We've got Apple Podcasts on your mobile device. We've got Spotify, Google Podcasts. Go to any one of these apps on your phone and search for Inside New Mexico with Steve Pierce. Subscribe, and you'll be notified when a new episode is available. On social media, we have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all found at, at New Mexico GOP. Our website is newmexico.gop, or you can just call our headquarters, 505-298-3662. We always say thank you to our production team, Derek Underhill, thank you, and Diana Vargas, thanks to you for your great help on this program. But each one of the listeners, we always ask them to call our radio stations and give your expression of thanks to them. Derek, great program today. Look forward to the next week. And Chairman Pierce, we appreciate you taking the time to do this program each week. I will look forward to seeing you and our listeners right here next week on Inside New Mexico.